In, in Matthew, the 17th chapter, Jesus has sent his disciples out to engage in ministry. It's, it's really, it's part of their developmental process. It's part of their internship process, so to speak. And, and they had some successes. They also had some not so much successes. And, and, and in the midst of that, uh, we come to this narrative in Matthew 17, starting in verse 14. And it says this, and when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic and suffers severely. He often falls into the fire and, and often into the water. So I, I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Father, I pray today that we would have an understanding of what it means to tap into the power that you make available to us. We thank you, God, for the realization that you indeed are the God who saves, delivers, and heals. But God, my, my prayer is this. My prayer today is that, is that we would today come to a faith-energizing understanding, not just of your power, but of the power in you that you make available for us. And God, we, we commit these moments to you in the wonderful and the, the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. So this man brings his son who suffers from seizures and often falls into the fire and often falls into the water. He first brought him to Jesus' disciples and they thought, oh, really cool. We're going to pray on this. We're going to pray for this young man and, and we're going to see deliverance. And they prayed for him and nothing happened. I don't know if you've ever had that situation in your life where you were believing God for a miracle, where you were believing God for a breakthrough, you were believing God for something of substance and you prayed and the result was nothing. Uh, I've been there. Uh, I've experienced that. And, and, and Jesus' disciples, they have that experience, right? And so the man, uh, the man brings the child to Jesus and Jesus answers him and says, Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long will I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? He says, bring, bring the child to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. And afterwards, his disciples came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, what's the deal? You know what? We did just what you did. We said the same things you said and the demon comes out for you. The demon doesn't come out for us. Now, there, there are two things in play here. Number one is this, is Jesus has yet to conquer death, hell, and the grave, right? And so while his disciples recognize that Jesus is doing some pretty amazing things, they still at this point see him as just a man, a, a pretty cool man, a pretty amazing man, but they still see him as just a man. And so Jesus tells them, okay, I want you to go and I want you to do these things. And they're like, great, we get to do everything that Jesus does. And then they go out there and it doesn't work so much. And then they come back and they go, Jesus, we did what you told us to do. We said what you told us to say. We followed the formula. This is very important to grasp. We followed the formula and nothing happened. We want easy believism. We want that. And I will tell you that unfortunately, far too much of the church sells that. We want to convince people to become Christ followers. And so we, we lay out this thing that it's very easy. All you got to do is say this, say this deal and you're in. 
come to church, walk to an altar, repeat a prayer that the pastor prays just after hearing, just as I am, and you're in. You're good. You're done. That's it. By the way, there is a little bit afterwards, but as long as you land in the right spots, as long as you connect the right dots, it's all good. And Jesus says this. He says, the reason that you could not cast out the demon is because of your unbelief. Because of your unbelief. Because of your unbelief in what? That's the key. Because of your unbelief, because of your lack of belief, because of your, because of your, your lack of faith. And their lack of faith came from a lack of understanding. And Jesus says this. He says, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. I want you to flip over to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Very familiar portion of Scripture, and it says this. Finally. Right? You, you know how I feel about that word finally. That finally, if, if, if you want to see some powerful statements in Scripture, go to those finally statements. Look at what, what immediately follows a finally statement, and, and you'll find powerful, powerful principle. Finally. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breast plate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And, and the Apostle Paul, through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, talks about this issue of being ready for spiritual warfare, being ready for spiritual battle, and having an understanding of what that looks like, what that means. I have an interesting, um, I have an interesting nuance in my life. My father served in World War II. My grandfather served in the Korean War, which is kind of interesting to me. My 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 father was on a naval ship in, at, at close to the end of World War II, and my maternal grandfather uh, was in the Korean War. And and my my grandfather loved to share his war stories. And his experiences. And one that sticks out for me is he, he'd, he'd love to talk about the challenge of, of basic training and his drill sergeant. His drill sergeant was ruthless. Uh, they can't so much be that today, right? It's, it's a kinder, gentler armed forces in America today, I guess. But, but, but back in the day, back when my grandfather went through, they could do just about anything they wanted to, to these recruits. And the reason for that is because they were not getting them ready for a party. They were getting them ready for battle. And so as they, were, as they were getting close to the end of basic training and getting ready to, to, to ship off uh, to Korea, the drill sergeant took them, took them out onto the training grounds and had them get into a trench. 
and he lined them up. And then he, he came along and he marked off with the, with the bayonet on his, on, his, on his rifle. He marked these lines in the, in, in the ground beside them, to their left and to their right. And then he looked at them and he said, men, this is what you're responsible for. As you go off into battle, this is what you're responsible for. You're responsible for those 24 inches. You're responsible for those 24 inches. He said, don't worry about what the rest of the men on the line are doing. That's my job. Don't worry about how the entire battle is going. That's the brass's job. But understand this, soldier, that if you take care of that 24 inches, not only will you come home alive, but there's a good chance the man beside you will come home alive and we as a nation will win this battle. But for you, soldier, it's all about the 24 inches. And this morning, I, I want to I, I challenge you with this. That we often, we get distracted by this and that. We get concerned about what's going on in, in, in this part of the, the Christian community. We, we, we get sidetracked by this issue or, or that philosophy. We'll get tripped up because someone who professed to be a Christ follower, potentially someone in leadership, even someone who has had great influence in your life, that they at some point lost sight of their 24 inches. And their shortcoming, their failure, the enemy uses that and leverages that to create multiple failures. Because we become consumed by obsessed by their failure, their faults, their shortcomings, rather than having an understanding of and being responsible for the part of the battle that's ours. And we, we have this understanding. We, we are engaged in warfare. We are engaged in battle. The simple reality is this. The simple truth is this. If, if you're a child of God, You've been chosen from the foundation of the world. You've been adopted into God's family. You've been, you've been redeemed through his blood. You're sealed by his spirit. If you're walking after Christ, if, if you're filled with the spirit and, and you're submitting to other believers and you're seeking peace in all relationships, you're, you're walking healthy in the church, you're, you're, you're trying to be godly in your marriage, in your family, in your workplace. If you're doing all the right things, here's what you can be confident of. You can be confident that Satan is after you. Wow, pastor, that's good news. But 1 Peter tells us, it says, be sober or be, be, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, the opposite side of that is this. If you're not facing conflict from the enemy, then it's possible that you're living a life of laziness. If, if the devil already has you, uh, he's not going to seek to devour you. Listen, if you're here today and you're a believer, I want to challenge you to listen up. 
Spiritual warfare is not an option in Christian life. It's not an option in Christian life. Just If you think back over your last week, you'll understand it's not an option in, in, in Christian life. If we're a believer, we're involved in the struggle, and no one else can fight this battle for you. There is not, there is not uh, an elite Christian force. Okay? We don't have a spiritual Green Berets or an ecclesiastical Airborne Rangers. We don't have that. We're all involved in the battle, and, and we are, we're all involved in this battle equally. We have this struggle. And so I, I want to talk to you for just a couple moments this morning about our struggle in spiritual warfare. And, and I, want, I want to talk to you uh, about that, the strength that we find in that. So if we look, we, we understand from, from Jesus' encounter with the epileptic boy that there are these spiritual forces in play, right? Because uh, we see this boy throwing himself in the fire, throwing himself in the water. And Scripture tells us that Jesus prayed for him and the boy was delivered from the demonic and was set free. Now, not every infirmity we have, not every difficulty we face is demonic. Some of it is because of the reality of the imperfect body that we have. Okay? But it's important that we, that we, recognize, uh, that, that we recognize the supernatural. Here's what it says in Ephesians 6. It says this. It says, finally... Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Finally. There in Ephesians 6.10. Now, now that, that, could be, that could be just as easily translated, instead of finally, it could be just as easily translated from now on. From now on. In fact, in verse 12, he uses the inclusive personal pronoun we. Okay? And, but what this basically means, it means this. It means that all of us are corporately involved in this great war between God and, 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 and the enemy. And it's important that we understand this. And now... Let me say this, that people's understanding of who Satan is falls into one of, of two camps. Falls into one of two camps, typically. Uh, number one, we have the, the, the one extreme, and, and those are the people that, that really don't believe in the supernatural. Right? Yeah, okay, I, I kind of understand that the supernatural exists, and, and I believe that, believe that God's out there, and I believe that the devil is out there, but, but to think that the devil is, is personally involved in my in my everyday life, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, Satan is more of, a, he's more of a symbolic thing, not really the, the embodiment of, of evil. In, in fact, a, 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 a national survey, George Barnett did a national survey on the issue of the devil or Satan. And, and in, in that survey, it stated this, the devil or Satan is not a living being, but merely a symbol of evil. Among those who claim to be born again, among those who claim to be Christ followers, 32% strongly agreed. So 32% of people who claim to be Christ followers said Satan isn't really real. It's just symbolic. 11% agreed somewhat, and 5% said they did not know. So of the total number responding, almost 50% of Christ followers either agreed that Satan is symbolic or they did not know. Let me help you. If you're among that 50%, let me help you. There is a heaven to gain. There is a hell to shun. There is a great advocate, Jesus. There is a great adversary, Satan. Satan is not a, 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 a symbolic thing. Satan is not a mythical creature. Satan absolutely exists. Now, on the other hand, uh, we have those who blame the devil for everything. Right? 
They see a demon under every bush. They believe the devil is under every rock, right? They, they get, they, they're traveling to work in the morning and they hit four red lights in, the ro- in a row and they're convinced that there's some sort of great spiritual attack happening. The fact that you hit four red lights in a row is not because the devil is out to get you. Well, pastor, the lights are red. I should tell you something. Okay? The fact that you hit four red lights in a row means that the city's done a poor job of timing the lights, not because there's some great spiritual warfare happening. Somewhere in the middle is, is the biblical reality, and, and that is this, is that Satan is, and his demonic legions, they're alive and well on planet Earth. Satan is the enemy of God, and because he cannot do anything to God, he chooses to attack what's precious to God, and that's you. Okay? So when, when, when the Apostle Paul writes... Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. He's writing that to you. Why? Because our struggle is real. And our struggle is also, it's personal. It's personal. It's, it's, not, it's not philosophical. It's not mere, merely theological. It's personal. Right? In, in verse number 12, it says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This word wrestle or struggle, it, it, it speaks to hand-to-hand combat. And, and when... When the Apostle Paul wrote this, when he wrote wrestle, okay, WCW, WWE didn't exist. And so when he writes this issue of wrestle, okay, he's not writing of of guys in spandex jumping around a ring the way that we think wrestle. Okay, wrestle in that day, wrestle in that cultural, in that historical context, it, it, it meant this. It meant being locked in mortal combat. Spiritual warfare is not arrows, artillery, long-range bombing. It is up close and personal. And so the, how does the enemy do that? The enemy does that by bringing, bringing unhealthy relationships into your life. Do not be misled, Scripture said. Bad company corrupts good character. The enemy does it by bringing opportunities into your day to tempt you, to try to distract you. Right? Right? Temptation is common to man, the Bible tells us. And so th- this, this struggle that we have, spiritual warfare, number one, it is very real. Satan does exist. It is profoundly personal. Satan engages in your life, in your day, at an individual level, at a personal level. And, and not just at a, at a personal level, at an intimate level. The thoughts that Satan will put into your mind, the questions that he'll try to get resonating in you at soul level, right? And that's what he does. And and we understand that because Scripture tells us that that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? Right? We, we wrestle, we, we fight. And whether we realize it or not, every day, every day, we're, we're, we're dealing with these forces of darkness. And every day the enemy tries to attack us in a new er- area. E- e- listen, 
Every day, the enemy tries to get us to walk in pride rather than humility. Every day, the enemy tries to get us to walk in division uh, rather in unity. Every day, the enemy wants us to be captivated by lust rather than walking in love. Every day, the enemy wants us to live in darkness rather than light. Every day, the enemy wants us to engage in foolishness rather than wisdom. Every day, the enemy wants us to be angry rather than be self-controlled. Every day, the enemy wants us to be consumed by bitterness rather than filled by joy. Every day, the enemy wants us to function with, with a, an appetite for the drunkenness of alcohol rather than the experience of being filled with the Spirit. Every day the enemy wants us to pursue self-fulfilling independence instead of walking in submission to the Holy Spirit. The enemy draws, that, it draws us into that stuff every day. If you are a Christ follower, there is never a day that you're not going to engage in spiritual warfare. Let me say that again. And if you get nothing else out of this morning, I want you to get that. If you're a Christ follower, you will engage in spiritual warfare every day. Well, then, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's better to not be a Christ follower because then I don't have to engage in the battle. No, make, make no mistake, okay? Whether you engage or not, if you, if you don't engage, you are defeated. And, and here's, here's the wonderful news. Here's the good news is this, is that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God. Even though we wrestle, okay, this is not a battle that, that has to be an immense struggle on any part. It, it should be, the issue of spiritual warfare, it should be an overwhelming victory. It, it, it should be an overwhelming victory. Why should it be an overwhelming victory? Well, in a few moments, we will commemorate and memorialize why. Because the, 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 the greatest tool, the chief tool that the enemy has is death. And Jesus, in going to the cross, conquered death, hell, and the grave. But this battle that we're involved with, it's, it, it, is, it, is, it is real, it is personal, okay? It's also, it is substantial. Paul further says this. He says that our fight is not against flesh and blood, so this hand-to-hand -hand combat that we're uh, engaged in, it cannot be fought by a conventional means. Okay? You cannot fight the enemy like you would fight a, a, a mere man. That, that's why verse 10 says this, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We, 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 we cannot, we cannot defeat the enemy by natural means. You, you can't you can't fight a flood with a flamethrower, right? You, you, you got to deal with it uh, in, 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 in the proper way. You, you, can't put out a, you can't put out a forest fire with a floodlight, right? There, there are times that that might be a useful tool, but in that moment, it doesn't work. And so we're supposed to live our lives not as unwise, but as wise, and, and recognize this, that God has given you everything that you need to live your life as more than an overcomer. So in this issue of spiritual warfare, the fact that it is real, the fact that it is personal, the fact that it is substantial, we can be confident that God has given us everything that we need to walk in supernatural strength. Right? Because the, the battle is not just substantial, it's also supernatural. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but rather it's against even more powerful enemies. And here's what it says in the latter part of verse number 12. It says that we battle against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
we battle against this invisible but deadly army. Okay? And we not only fight against Satan, but we fight against his legion of fallen angels. So Paul here, as in other passages, uh, he, he describes the, the ranks and organizations of the unseen spiritual forces. Principles, powers, rulers. And the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. They, they inhabit the heavenly places. That is the invisible spiritual realm. All right? And, 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 and here's, what we, here's what we can come to understand is that because this is real, because it's personal, because it's substantial, because it's supernatural, it has significant implications. What are those? Well, number one is this, is Satan is powerful. He's not as powerful as God, not even close to powerful as God. Satan is a creation. However, he does have power. If you don't believe that Satan has power, look at the world around us. Satan has power. Now, where does he get that power from? The reality is this, is Satan has power. It's not because God has given him power. Satan has power because man has relinquished his authority and given it to Satan. But in that, in, in the effectiveness that Satan has, has in bringing temptation to man, man has yielded a lot of authority over to the enemy. And so we, we do face a... We do face a, a powerful enemy. Okay? We also face a terribly evil enemy. Okay? Satan is the embodiment of evil. Okay? He's also, he's very cunning. And we, it says this in ver, verse 11. It talks about the wiles or the schemes of the devil. The methods, the strategies of the devil. What does he use? He, he uses diversion. right? He uses deception. He uses division. And so we, we, we were engaged in this, in this very real, in this very personal, in this very substantial, in this very supernatural battle. And it's important as Christ followers that we, that we recognize that, that we be aware of that. We should not be, we should not be on any level intimidated by that. Let me say that again because I want it to sink deep into both your mind and your heart. We should not on any level be a, afraid of or intimidated by the reality of Satan or the efforts of the enemy. Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Right? I, I love what Paul says in Romans when he says this. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution? Right? Or nakedness or danger or sword? Says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. See, greater is he that is in us. Far greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So the acknowledgement that spiritual warfare is real shouldn't create anxiety in our life, right? Because God's not given us a spirit of fear. He's not given us a, a spirit of timidity. Paul, Paul, in Paul's writing to Timothy, he makes that very clear. That God's not given us a spirit of fear. He's not given us a spirit of timidity. But he, instead, he's given us a spirit of power. Right? That's the power that's talked about in Acts when it says, and you will receive power, dunamis, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So we have, we have available to us 
the arsenal of weaponry that allows us to be overcoming more than conquerors. So why is it then that as Christ followers, we are defeated so often? Well, number one, because 50% of us don't believe that Satan really exists. And number two is this, is we tend to want to fight the battle in our strength. And we, we need to understand where our strength comes from. And the enemy will continually defeat us when we rely on our power. Right? Ephesians 6.10. That whole, the whole portion of scripture that we looked at, it starts with, it says, finally be strong in what? What? Say it again. Does it say be, be, be strong in your understanding of God? Does it say be strong in the scriptures that you've memorized? Be strong in your church attendance. Be strong in how great of a worshiper you are. No, it says this. It says, be strong in the Lord. And we have this tendency to want to fight the supernatural in hum with human effort. And that's a mistake. It's a significant mistake, a mistake. And quite honestly, for some, it's a tragic mistake. It's a fatal mistake. Because here's what happens is we become convinced, we become proud in, where, in, in our spiritual position and, and our, our approach is this, Satan, bring it on. Right? And in our arrogance, we find ourselves utterly defeated. If, if I think I can handle it on my own, I'm, I'm beaten and I don't even know it. Now, on a side note, that's part of the reason why this, this thing about being connected to the fam, church family is so important, why koinonia is so important, why fellowship is so important. Because what does the enemy love to do? The enemy loves to divide and conquer. But here's, here's what I have discovered in my life, I've discovered in my journey, that if one can put 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000 to, to flight, that a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Wisest man that ever lived said that. And you know what? I, I, I found in my life for that to be true. Because when I try to do things on my own, oftentimes it doesn't go so well. But when I'm standing with brothers and sisters in the Lord, I, I see the, the, this victory come into the day. I see, th this, I see God's presence moving powerfully in the moment. But I get into trouble when I, when I try to do it on my, on my own power. Next verse says this. Put on... The full armor of God. Oftentimes when we, when we look at this portion of scripture, we will very quickly read through verse 11. Put on the full armor of God. Right? So that when the, when the day of evil comes, you're able to take your stand and stand therefore. And, and then we'll talk about what that armor of God is. I'm convinced of this, that the most important aspect of this entire portion of Scripture is found right there in verse number 11 when it says this, put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. Of God. It is, it is because of God's grace that I can stand. It is because of God's empowerment that I can be an overcomer. It's because of God's divine ability that you can see victory. 
And so this issue of putting on the full armor of God, as long as we, as long as we keep into full focus where that armor comes from, we're good. It's important that we understand that, to be strong in the Lord. Why? Because greater is he that is in you, 1 John says, than he that is in the world. There's a, there's a scene in, uh, well, it's, it's, it's Exodus 7. But there's a scene in the movie, The Ten Commandments. There's a, there's a couple of scenes uh, in, the, in the Ten Commandments that I, I just, I, I love. And, uh, and I, I love, I love uh, Yul Brynner. I, I just love the accent that Yul Brynner has in the movie, The Ten Commandments. Where is your God now, Moses? I just, I just, it just, it's timeless. And uh, I think that movie is, 1956, I think that movie came out. It's just, it's still, today, still, it's, it's a powerful movie. And, uh, but when Charlton Heston, playing Moses, and he's, 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 uh, he's standing in front of Pharaoh, and he says to Pharaoh, he goes, he goes okay, Pharaoh, this is, this is the modern translation. Okay, Pharaoh, watch this. And, and Moses hands his staff to Aaron in the movie. And then Aaron takes and does, it's the first time ever in history that somebody in essence drops the mic, Right? It is. It's one of those moments. It's like, watch this. I think it would have been more dramatic had, had Moses done it instead of handing it to, 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 to his assistant. But he just, okay, Pharaoh, you think you're something? Drops the mic. And, and Moses' staff turns into a snake. In the Ten Commandments, it turns into a cobra. And, and Pharaoh just sits back and laughs. Ha! Moses. That's nothing more than, you know, little magic. And he calls one of his guys over and he goes, show him. And actually two of his magicians come over and they, they drop their staffs and their staff becomes a snake, right? And Moses, our Pharaoh's wife says, see, you don't have to worry about Moses. Nothing Moses can do can hurt you. When God does something powerful, you will find this. That Satan is very good about bringing imitations to convince you that anything God can do, Satan can do. In fact, he does that to try to convince you that God is not very powerful. But Exodus 7 records, and, and, and Charlton Heston and Yul Brynner and his boys, uh, they do a great job of illustrating <laughs> the two snakes that the, that, the, um, that the magicians make. They come and they're kind of hissing at the snake that is Moses' staff. And then you don't see this in the movie The Ten Commandments because it was made in 1956. If it was made in 2016, you'd see it. They, just, they would show it in all of its glory. But, um, but the, the little boy says, look, Mom, Moses' snake is eating the other snakes, right? So here's what happens. And Scripture tells us that, that, that God has Moses drop his staff, staff turns into a snake, Pharaoh goes, that's no big deal, watch this. And then God says, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not done yet. And in your life, as God is engaged in your life, the enemy will come 
and he'll come against you. But if you'll give God opportunity, God has this wonderful thing of saying, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. When, when Jesus went to the cross, Satan was thoroughly convinced that he had obtained what he wanted. The Son of God brutally executed, hanging between two thieves. Yes, he had healed an an epileptic boy. Yes, he had opened up blind eyes. Yes, he had raised Lazarus from the dead. But look at where it got him. For everything that Jesus did, Satan had a counterpunch. Until the cross. And in the cross, Satan was convinced that he had won. The ultimate incident of spiritual warfare. And to the natural eye, to all those who were in attendance at Jesus' crucifixion, it appeared that Satan had won. I don't, I don't know if you have this experience in your day, but I can tell you this. From my vantage point, from my point of view, there are many times that it seems like Satan has won in the life of a loved one, in a, in, a, in, a, in a battle that I'm facing personally or a battle that I'm trying to navigate the church through corporately. There's those moments where it seems as if Satan has won. Pharaoh drops his staff, produces one snake. Or Moses drops his staff and produces one snake. Pharaoh's magicians drop their staffs, two snakes. Two snakes is always better than one. Except God says this, I'm not done yet. And in your life, God has brought you here today. Ma'am, he's brought you here today, sir, to say this. I understand the enemy has been working very diligently to try to bring discouragement, to try to bring distraction, to try to bring deception, to try to bring division, to try to bring doubt. And here's what God says. Just as when my son hung lifeless on the cross and Satan was convinced that he had won, I wasn't done yet. Spiritual warfare is real. It is substantial. It is personal. It is supernatural. It is also God's plan to do the miraculous in your moment. We should not chase after spiritual warfare. That's just stupid. But you don't have to chase after it because it's all around you. We shouldn't run from it because we already know the outcome.
and walking properly in spiritual warfare, listen to this, walking properly in spiritual warfare is the gateway to overwhelming victory in your life. I don't fear what the enemy is going to do. I know he's going to try it. I don't entice him, encourage him. I don't have to because he's going to be there anyway. But I'm ready. I love what God's doing in our church. I love what he's doing in your life. I love the fact that there are many of you that are here that six months ago, you weren't here. There's a number of you six months ago, you weren't going to church anywhere. And now God's doing some cool things in your life. Satan's not happy about it. And here's what he's gonna do. He's gonna try to attack you. He's also gonna try to attack the church. Yeah, we're not surprised by that. And we're well prepared. He's a liar and a cheat. He's a defeated foe. We will stand with you in the spiritual battle and you're going to see overcoming victory. And understand this. Corporately, as a church, Satan's lost. He already knows it. He already knows it's only a matter of time until we go from one service to two services. We go from one campus to two campus to three campuses to four campuses. He's trying hard to keep it from happening, but he lost. He lost a long time ago. He lost at the cross.